Today I want to talk about being gathered in the gospel, delighting in the church. And as we begin, I'd like to start with kind of three broad generalizations of the church. Uh, Number one is, uh, coming up, there it is, Uh, thank you. Uh, The church and the kingdom of God are not the same. It's good as we begin this, I want these broad generalizations. Uh, The way I see it is, and I think the way Scripture says, is that Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. And the church is the fruit of that or the result of that. In a couple weeks, Pastor Chris will be uh, teaching us on Luke 4, 18 and 19. I think that's a very good description of the kingdom, what he came to do and accomplish. And so the goal is not church. And sometimes we think the goal is church, but it's not. The goal is kingdom life, kingdom ministry, engaging in that. And the fruit of that is church. And so that's a good distinguishment up front. And um, the second thing is that uh, the guests should not be able to tell what kind of church we are when they visit us or our guests amongst us. I want to be confusing to them when they come here. And so... The idea behind that is I want us as a church to be so committed to theology and doctrine that when people come, they think that we're a very conservative church. At the same time, I want our worship to be so passionate that when they come, they think we're a very charismatic church. And at the same time, I would like our commitment to social justice and mercy ministries to be so profound that when people come, they think we're a very liberal church. And so I think if we're doing kingdom well, if we're doing church well, people will not be able to place us in any kind of a box. And so that's a good uh, perspective, uh, generalization that I want to throw out there. And then the third thing that I want to say is church is messy and will always be messy. They were in in the New Testament and we are too. Church is messy. When you go back and you look at some of the churches uh, that Paul addressed in the New Testament, uh, they were whacked. That's a theological term. They were whacked. Uh, The Corinthians, uh, the Galatians, uh, Ephesus never recovered from when Paul left the first time. Lots of false teachers, etc. You have the seven churches in Revelation. There's affirmation and rebuke for each of those churches. Church is messy, and it's never going to be different than that. And we want to do and engage with God and with one another, even in the midst of the messiness. One of my mentors would say that birth is messy, uh, funerals are not. And I want to be where life is, and I assume that you do too. So that's a generalization uh, that I'd like to throw out there. And with that, I would like for us to read today Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 18, and we are going to be looking specifically at the first half of uh, verse 18, but I would like to invite you to stand as we read God's Word, and uh, then I'll read it out for us, and then uh, I'll pray and we'll jump in. So Colossians 1, 13 through 18, I'll probably make a few comments along the way. Uh, I'm prone to that. It's on page 987 in the Bibles that are close by to you. And so if if we were to do a different sermon on this passage, we'd be talking about the doctrine of Christ. Uh, I'd love to come back to that sometime and talk about that. But starting in verse 13, For Jesus rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us 
to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me just stop and say that is a perfect articulation of the gospel. This is who we are. This is what Christ has done. You and I have been transferred into a kingdom, the fruit of which is church. And it goes on and it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's a little bit of a confusing uh, verse, the firstborn of all creation. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses would say that Jesus is a created being. We would say he's not. And so what, is, what are we talking about here? Uh, that the word firstborn there, the, the, the preface of that word is proto, where we get our word prototype from. And so you could say that Jesus is a prototype of what God is doing in the earth. And then the next two verses really go the next uh, step and explain exactly what that means. So what does it mean to be the firstborn of all creation? For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. A beautiful doctrine of Christ there. And then verse 18, he is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. And that's another, you know, firstborn of all creation and the firstborn of the dead. That means he's the prototype of dying and being resurrected like what will happen to us as well so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Let me pray and then you can be seated. Kind Father, thank you for this time. I do pray that you are our teacher today, whether it's words we heard in a song, whether it's something I say or something you just directly speak to our hearts. So we commit ourselves, we open our hearts to you and dedicate this time to you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for that. Today I want to look at those nine words. Uh, At the beginning of verse 18, he is the head of the body of the church. And I'd like for us to, to, to see, to view, and, and appreciate uh, the church in maybe some new ways or just maybe some uh, reminding ways. Uh, think of it as a part training center, part uh, a seminar, part, part sermon. And, and here's the thing. I, I might ruffle some feathers today. I just want to give you a heads up on that. I, I think a, a, a pastor that's... that's passionate about serving the church that he or she does, I, I, I think it's sometimes we just need to do that. So I don't know if your feathers will be ruffled today. It, it could happen. Uh, but I just wanted to give you a heads up about that. So accomplish this thing called church. Uh, I, I'd like to climb up to about 30,000 feet as I'm prone to do and define and describe the church and then bring it down into the here and now and talk specifically about the goals, about the objectives of, of church services here at CCC. So that's where we're going to go. And I want to give you the three big pieces that we'll be exploring today, and then we'll look at them one at a time. So the first thing that I would like us to consider is um, define and describe the big C church. We're a church, little C church, but there's a big C church. So what's, what's going on there? And then the second thing is define and describe where we land as an evangelical church. As you you might be aware, the word evangelical is a little bit of a hot-button word in our culture today. And then number three, define and describe what we are anticipating in our church services each and every Sunday. So we'll go back to, to the first one 
and we'll look at those one at a time, define and describe the Big C Church. And here's a very simple, straightforward definition of the church. The church is a community of all true believers for all time. Very simple, straightforward definition of church. We'll expand upon that a little bit in a few minutes. Uh, What it means, what that means is that there's a visible church and there's an invisible church. What's, What's the difference? The visible church includes all who currently profess faith in Christ and give evidence of that faith in their lives. That's the visible church, much bigger than our church. It's the church around the world, the current picture of the church. So what's the invisible church? The the invisible church is the church that God sees. God sees the church, the past believers, the present believers, even the future believers of those whose hearts are his. So the invisible church is the church that God sees. So let me ask you a question. It could be a little difficult question, but... um, I think it's pretty straightforward. Can you be an active, intentional, committed churchgoer and not be part of God's church? The answer to that question is yes. You can be an active, intentional churchgoer and not be a part of God's church. As I said, the church is, is the church that God sees. And, and even if we're in church or somebody's in church their whole life, it, it doesn't mean that their heart has been turned by the gospel to the God of mercy and grace. And so I want to make sure that we're all in that place where you've all heard what we need to do in order to be part of God's church. That's not the ruffle your feathers part, actually. Still still to come. I love how N.T. Wright describes the church, his book, Simply Christian. He compares the church to both a river and a tree. They seem like opposites because a river starts with thousands of of streams and tributaries and flows into a river, and a a tree begins with a single seed. And, And Wright says that we need to see and we need to understand both images to begin to fully understand the church. So like a river, heaven will be populated with people from every tongue, every nation, who all started at different places, but have have brought their streams, their tributaries together into a single flow. And in this way, he says that it begins with diversity and then gives way to unity. And we want uh, CCC to to look as much like heaven as we can. And then church is also like a tree, N.T. Wright says. Jesus is the single seed sown into the dark earth that has produced this towering plant with many branches stretching out in many directions. And in this way, unity gives way to diversity. So it's diverse, unified, it's unified and diverse in in the the concept of church. And I want to give you a definition of church, a little expanded definition that I adapted from N.T. Wright. What I did, I think I made it better, by the way, but don't tell them I said that. Uh, But I added a Trinitarian view. I added the God, the Father piece and and changed just a little bit, but certainly adapted from N.T. Wright. And I think this is like a a tweetable uh, definition of the church or a check-in on Facebook definition of the church. But the church is a single multi-ethnic community 
decreed by God the Father, brought into being by Jesus, energized by the Holy Spirit, and called to be the transformative news of God's rescuing justice to the whole creation. Beautiful. One of the best I've ever seen, if I do say so myself. So I I think that is a helpful perspective on what that means uh, to be and to do church. Uh, That moves us to number two, define and describe where we land as an evangelical church. As I mentioned, the word evangelical has gotten politicized lately, so how do we do this and how do we think about this? Uh, It's a hot-button term. Back in 2010, J.I. Packer, one of my heroes in the faith and one of my literary mentors, never did get to meet him. He's in his 90s now. But, but he wrote a stinging rebuke of the evangelical church, and I'm going to put it up there for you. This is what he wrote. Superficial smatterings of truth, blurry notions about God and godliness, and thoughtlessness about the issues of living, career-wise, community-wise, family-wise, and church-wise, are all too often the marks of evangelical congregations today. I would agree. I don't want us to go there. I don't want us to let go of what it means to be and to do church. Here's how I would suggest that we view ourselves. uh, We had an elders meeting on Friday morning, and this is not official, but you could call it version one. I think we're working on something that, that causes us to land. If you see the evangelical continuum, it's gotten really, really wide from very, very conservative to very, very liberal. All of that is identified as evangelical in the church today. And so moralistic, moralistic folks lack grace and understanding. It's a little bit like the folks that Paul was talking about when he wrote Galatians. The fundamentalists started up here in New England in the 30s, and and their heart was good. They wanted to recommit to the fundamentals of the faith. I think where they went wrong is they hived away from culture. They were separatist and, and stayed away from the larger culture, fearing that it was evil and not to be engaged with. And then you have the conservative, and that... I don't want to politicize that term. To be conservative is is to conserve the central elements of the faith. And emergent is a more uh, recent version of a more uh, theologically liberal, uh, and then you have the liberal church. What's what's that? Uh, uh, Emergent, in my view, uh, liberal is where social justice is at the hub of the wheel instead of the gospel. Social justice should certainly be a spoke of that wheel, but what's at the hub? And I think the hub needs to be Jesus Christ himself. And so that's a thing. And so confessional evangelicalism is something that, that I want to introduce that idea to you, and I did with the elders. They were good with it. And again, this is like version one, maybe version two. But confessional evangelicalism refers to the movement of Christian believers who seek a conscious convictional continuity. I love that phrase. And it's CCC too, so it's, it fits. All right, a conscious convictional continuity with the historical orthodox creeds and the theological catechisms of the Protestant Reformation. In other words, we want to be a church that's rooted in historic orthodox creeds and confessions, knowing that some creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, predate the Reformation. They go back to the third and fourth centuries. But we want to be rooted in historical Christianity as a goal. And so, uh, here, here's something. This is a little bit of an aside, but just want to say it. I would strongly suggest 
that we not, that you not, mix our evangelicalism with Christian nationalism. Now, I haven't heard of anything like that in our church, or I haven't heard about anybody doing this, so I'm not trying to talk to anybody. I'm just saying that I think this is an important thing to say. Let's not mix our evangelicalism with Christian nationalism. I think when Christians seek to merge Christian and American identities, we end up distorting both our faith as well as our constitutional democracy. So let's Let's keep those uh, separate. That brings us to number three. And what I'd like to do is define and describe what we are anticipating in our church services here at Community Covenant Church. In a nutshell, the goal of our worship services is to re-gospel one another each and every week. I love that word. I made it up. Maybe I didn't. I heard it. Anyway, to re-gospel one another each and every week. If you've been around for a while, you've heard me say that we never outgrow our need for the gospel. And some of us were taught or maybe think that the gospel is the door into the Christian experience, and once, once that door is open, we don't need the gospel anymore. That's for unbelievers or new believers. But I would say, no, that's, <clears throat> that's not it at all. The gospel's the whole thing. And it's always the whole thing, a, recapitula a recapitulation of the gospel each and every week that we all need it for the rest of our lives. And I've shared this before, a quote, from, a quote from Martin Luther, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because we stumble, we fall, we do dumb stuff, and then that's when we need the gospel to remind us of who God is and to lift us up and to refocus us even in the midst of doing some stupid things. You probably haven't noticed this, but I have never referred to this building as the church. Uh, it kind of offends me if I do it. I don't, I'm, I'm suggesting that we all think about how we do that and, and maybe begin the process of changing that because it's, it's so important for you and I to see ourselves as the church. This building is not the church. One of my mentors would have called this a sheep shed. This, that's what this building is, a sheep shed. And you and I are the church. And so I'd like us to kind of think about that because that keeps the focus on people. Church is people, not a building. I'll meet you at the sheep shed. I'll meet you at the church building. I'll see you tomorrow morning at the church building. I'll see you tomorrow morning at the sheep shed. Just throwing it out there as something uh, for us to consider. Church is people. And so I'd like to spend the rest of our time posing the question, what do we do when we get together for a church service? And first, what we need to identify is what we're not doing in a church service. A worship service is not built around the model of a, a modern entertainment event. We fall into that trap. In fact, I heard somebody say, maybe you've heard this too, uh, uh, that church, the evangelical church, has become a rock concert and a TED Talk. Uh, and I don't want us to go there. I, I, I don't want to be that kind of a church. I, I don't think you do either. Uh, but that would be a modern entertainment event. In a modern entertainment event, we, we, we're passive spectators, and the event has some warm-up acts, and then there's a, a main event, and then we all go home after we flick our bick. That's what we used to do in the old days at concerts, and now we hold up our phone, and, and we appreciate uh, the event, and then we go home. That's not what church 
is. And I just want to remind us of that today. So what are we doing at a weekend worship gathering? We are regospeling one another. You're regospeling me. I'm helping to regospel you, and we're regospeling one another. Let's go back to the gospel. One of the, the simplest and, and perhaps best theological definitions of the gospel or a description of the gospel can, can be viewed as an equation. And let me show you what that is. Uh, God plus sin plus Jesus plus faith equals the gospel. First and foremost, God, uh, we sinned. Uh, we need Jesus. He came. And by faith, we enter in. That's a, a, a description of the gospel. What's happening in a worship service is a review and a restatement of the gospel that culminates in, in a fresh surrender to Jesus and the gospel. Now, if you're here and you're an active follower of Jesus, you'll have that moment where you became an active follower of Jesus. So, so for those of us that that's already happened, it's, each week is a recommitment to the gospel as the primary source and power in our lives. And for unchurched people who come in and the dots get connected and, and, and they see their need for Jesus, they get gospeled at that moment as well. A fresh surrender for most of us, an initial surrender, hopefully, for several uh, lots more people in the coming year. Here's how Tim Keller says it. He's a, a theologian, author that I've appreciated very much. He, this is what church is. I think he says it very well. An, an experiencing of the gospel in a profoundly participative way every week in a way that your soul needs. Our soul needs to be together once a week to be regospeled. That's what I'm trying to say to you in a nutshell. Each week we're reengaging the gospel from beginning to end. God, our sin. We need Jesus. We need faith. We are actively walking through this together as we gather on the weekends. If you are habitually late to worship, or you spend the first several minutes of the service in the cafe chatting, it basically means that you believe or think that a worship service is actually an entertainment event and not the church service that it actually is. My heart, my preference would be that we would be in here when the first song starts. My heart, my preference would be that we might start Saturday night or Sunday morning and think about what we hope, how we hope to meet God on Sunday morning, that you would think about, that I would think about, what are the besetting sins in my life that I want to gather up and I want to take those to church? And in the midst of a church service, I want to let go of them and I want to look to him to meet me in the midst of that. We want to give extra grace to our families Lynn and I had four kids. We know what it's like. They were 20 months apart almost to the day. It was wild for a few years, right? So we know what it's like to try and get kids up, grumpy, et cetera, and then Lynn and I are fighting too, so there's all that. 
and just trying to get here on time for church. So there's lots of grace for that. Uh, but my preference is that we would be in here from start to finish. Again, J.I. Packer, I think, is very helpful here. This is what he would say. People honor God most when they come to worship hungry and expectant, conscious of need, and looking to God to meet them and to supply it. Again, to prepare our hearts a little bit before we're here. Where, where do I need God? You might have had a terrible week. You might have had an awesome week. But where do you need God? And, and bundle that up like a suitcase and bring it in here and let it go. Our soul needs that, and I would say every week. How do we participate? It means that we see, we understand what's happening during the course of a worship service. We work our way through the essentials of the gospel together every week. We do this individually, and then we do it corporately. That's what church is. Now, let's quickly walk through those four components. I don't want to take a lot of time because I think this is a re review for most of us, but God, we begin each week, the service each week, with a, a call or an invitation to praise and to worship God through congregational singing. Our goal is always to remind ourselves how great and how all-important God is, and we need that to remind ourselves who God is. In the early stages of the first set of worship, our, our, our amazing worship leaders will help us to focus on God through song, God's majesty, his beauty, his sacrifice. I'd like to invite you to, if you haven't heard Chris's sermon on worship from like, I think it was three weeks ago, go back and listen to that because he didn't just talk about singing. He talked about a life of worship, and I think it's worth listening to. A sin is humble pride, self-absorption. It's, it's destroyed our relationship with God. It, it's seeking to destroy our relationships with one another and with the world. And during the course of a worship service, it's important that we take time to confess every known sin in our lives, to call upon God for his merciful forgiveness. And here's a chart that will help us to see how an awareness of sin can actually enhance our worship. So time-space continuum, conversion happens, and then there's this growing awareness of my flesh and sinfulness. The, the longer I'm a Christian, the, the, more I, the more sin I see in my life. I don't know if that's your experience or not. Uh, and at the same time, there's a growing awareness of God's holiness. And so these things, as you can see, as these, as these paths diverge, see how big and important the cross becomes. And that's what a church service is. A cross means gospel, that God did something beautiful, did something wonderful. So there's this growing awareness of our flesh and sinfulness, and then this this growing awareness of God's beauty and majesty and holiness, and he's worthy to be worshiped and praised in our lives. And so that's, that's a, a picture of how that works. Jesus Christ has come into the world to rescue us from sin and, and, and death through his life, death, resurrection. And so we come to hear the scripture being read being taught, we remember, we, or, or we learn for the first time what God has done about our sin condition in Jesus Christ. Paul, I think, is a great example of this in Romans 7. He, he contemplates his tendency, or, or we could say his compulsion to sin, and he confesses to God, then he turns to God in worship. And here in, in Romans 7, this is, this is a beautiful picture of what we want. 
what you and I want to be able to do on Sunday morning. Uh, Paul says, wretched man that I am. What's that? That's confession. He's owning up. It's, it's, he's, he's got his own issues and his own sin compulsion. This is, and I think I've shared this with you before, but this is at the end of his life, towards the end of his life, and a lot of theologians wish he was a lot more mature than this, but he's not. He's just like you and me. Uh, he's probably smarter than us, uh, but he's just as human as we are. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? He's confessing. He's, he's, he's longing for God. And then what does he do? He worships. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then as, if, if you know Scripture a little bit, then it goes into Romans 8. Romans 8 is all about life and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he moves seamlessly. Confession, worship, Life in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's going on here. Finally, we respond in faith to what Jesus has done with a, with a fresh surrender, with a fresh whole life commitment. And I would say to you, we need this every week. The whole service is an act of worship. A little bit of what Chris talked about three weeks ago, but the singing is worship, isn't it? And the goal of every sermon is to help you worship Christ in the text. That's what a sermon is for, to help us worship Jesus Christ in the text. So the sermon is worship, Get the giving of our tithes and offerings. Uh, that's worship too. Celebrating the Lord's Supper is worship. Baptisms, when we have them, that's worship as well. It's all worship. Every single piece of the Sunday service is worship. In every church service, we would like you to not be passive, not be a, 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 a spectator, but to see yourself as, as an active participant in the gospel. Bring your sin, let it go, worship God, come alongside each other. How are you doing? How was your week? And, and that, that's not a greeting, it's actually a question. How are you doing? Take a moment to be fully present and to listen. This is something that we can do all about worship. And finally, we respond to the worship service by 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 seeking to spread the kingdom, the, the life, the power, the presence, the reconciliation of the kingdom out into our sphere of in influence between Sundays, we, to, to, to push it out. And we're going to have a sermon series uh, about that leading up, up to Easter. So that's a big overview of the church. We are regospeling one another each and every week in a way that your soul needs, in a way that my soul needs. As we close, I want to talk to parents for a moment. Uh, this morning, I, I posted a guest blog on our uh, CCC blog. Here's the title of the article. When church is optional, you set up your kids to fail. I believe that's true. Here's a quote. The author's a pastor in the Northwest. When I pull my children away from the things of God for the sake of hobbies, I am programming them to be satisfied with lesser affections. I am programming them to fail. Now, am I saying that you should never miss church for a kid event? No, I'm not saying that. Uh, my son was on a soccer league that traveled 
Uh, I had to wrestle with that being a pastor. I, I get it. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that you are responsible for your kids. You're the primary discipler, and what are, they're not going to do what you tell them. They're going to do what you do. That's the bottom line. And so I want just to say that this is important. This is really important. Here's my last-ditch effort, my, my pitch uh, to make church a priority. I don't know if you've seen the statistics, but even committed people at church now are here once or twice a month. And that means that that's a half a year missing out on what God is saying and doing in our lives and in our hearts and, and what he's do, wanting to do with us and to us and all of that. I would also say to you that there is, there is more opportunity for you to grow and to change. The theological word, sanctification, the word transformation fits as well. There's more opportunity for you to grow and to change in these 70 minutes than at any other time during the week because we are moving through the whole gospel presentation from singing, reminding ourselves who God is, to being confronted with the word, uh, the gospel for um, sometimes it's rebuke, uh, sometimes it's affirmation, and mostly affirmation and encouragement, but we're, we're opening ourselves up to something that God is doing. And we partake of the Lord's Supper. We're looking back. We're looking at one another. We're looking ahead. It's a regospeling of our lives that our soul needs every week. So I'm saying to you, I don't think there's any better time in the week to change, to, to be transformed, to be sanctified than in these 70 minutes that we're together here.